Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer. This episode is brought to you by our investigative platform, Noteworthy, where we carry out journalistic projects based on ideas sent to us by the public. I'm Susan Daly, and just this week we published the findings of an investigation by our reporter, Alice Chambers. She looked into delays and dissatisfaction experienced by members of the public who had made a complaint about Gardaí to the police watchdog, GSOC. Now, when Alice started looking into this issue beginning several months ago, little did we realise that we'd be publishing this hot on the heels of one of the most tumultuous times for GSOC, or the Garda Síochána Ombudsman Commission, to give it its full title. We'll come back to that particular story, which was linked to the Regency shooting trial, that has thrust the workings of GSOC into the limelight a little bit later in this episode. But the renewed spotlight on the Ombudsman and Alice's findings about who is carrying out investigations there and how long those are taking has us asking the question today, is GSOC fit for purpose? GSOC was set up to serve the public, but does the public even know that it is meant for them? Here to help address some very fundamental questions about the role and power of GSOC is Noteworthy's Alice Chambers and joining us is examiner columnist journalist and podcast host himself, Mick Clifford, who's reporting on GSOC, whistleblowers and Garda matters over many years now, has made him one of the most knowledgeable and credible voices in Irish media in this area. Welcome, Mick, and welcome, Alice. Thank you, Susan. Thanks, Susan. Alice, if I might come to you first to get us all up to speed on an acronym we've been hearing a lot about. What is GSOC meant to be? GSOC is a body open to any member of the public to bring complaints against the Guardi. And so that can be for misconduct. It's meant to be independent. It's meant to be an impartial body that's completely separate to Angarda Siakona. And it's meant to be very simple. You go onto the website and you can submit a complaint. Now, Alice, you said it's for the public, but how aware is the public of that fact? I think largely unaware. A survey from 2019 that GSOC conducted themselves found that actually a third of people thought that they were part of Angarda Siakona, so not independent, which, which they are. However, they are pretty limited. Uh, they could only take certain types of complaints from the public. They only have certain powers to investigate, depending on what kind of investigation it is. We might get into that later. Uh, there's no appeals mechanism. They have an overwhelming caseload, which they've spoken about before. It's very slow. It's intransparent. And then actually, at the end of all that, their power to find wrongdoing or impose anything is, is incredibly limited. So it's actually quite uncontroversial that GSOC needs reform. They say it themselves. And there's legislation in front of the dole right now to completely overhaul it. And Mick, it's been overtaken somewhat, though, by GSOC hitting the headlines recently. You might very briefly remind listeners, for anyone who hasn't heard this, why GSOC was, was in the news recently. Yeah, Susan, so there was that very high profile trial of uh, Jerry Hutch, known as the Monk, in which he was uh, accused of murder to do with the Regency Hotel killing of David Byrne in 2016. Very long trial, special criminal court. The verdict for that came down on uh, a couple of weeks ago on a Monday and uh, found not guilty. Mr Hutch was freed. And then it emerged some days later that a party in the north inner city where Jerry Hutch is from uh, was attended by 
a member of GSOC and not just any member but one of its lead investigators. Now this immediately blew up quite understandably and um, subsequently the Gardaí have investigated the matter and I think they're still investigating it. The investigator resigned from GSOC himself and the investigation into him I think centres beyond whether just being at the party was one thing but whether he had any other connections with the Hutch family and particularly that element of the Hutch family that may that's regarded as being involved in crime to some extent. Um, Jerry Hutch, like it should be pointed out, made a very large settlement with Cab, so I don't think anybody uh, doubts his, his involvement to that extent. So that has really come as a major blow, I think, to GSOC's credibility that one of their investigators would have been found in, by any standards, what's a compromising position. There's been a suggestion that he came into work the following day. A type of said something along the lines of, guess who was at a party I was at last night? Now, I have my doubts as to that being the origin of uh, how it came to to be known, but that, that, that was the story that was put out initially. But one way or the other, it's a very embarrassing scenario, at the very least, for GSOC. Absolutely, and it's... I suppose it's the latest one, but you've been reporting on this for such a long time, making we've known stories in the past. Historically, this wouldn't be the first controversy that we've seen GSOC involved in, where the public are like, what's this body? What's it doing? And uh, sorry, why are we hearing about it? Yeah, there have been other controversies. I suppose, really, Susan, to put in a brief historical context, I mean, GSOC was set up in 2007 as a result of the Morris Tribunal. The Morris Tribunal investigated Garda corruption in Donegal and one of its recommendations was a body such as GSOC. Now, prior to that, if you had a complaint against the Garda, you went to the old Garda Complaints Board. I think it's fair to say nobody had any confidence in that and Morris was the latest of a number of tribunals that pointed out major shortcomings with that system. So eventually it was set up and by the standards of Western democracies came very late to that point. Now, just very briefly, historically, the the issues kind of arose, Donegal and what happened there in the late 90s was the last of a number of Garda scandals reaching back 20 years. And one of the big issues I think that kept repeating was impunity for Garda who were found to possibly have been involved in wrongdoing. Um, and there was definitely a, a feeling that the Garda, if I could put it this way, that that the government of the day had the Garda's back any time an issue arose. Now, some of that can be traced back. A lot of it can be traced back to the troubles in the North. And you go back to the 70s and some people would say it was a product of paranoia on the government of the day's part, but they felt that the Garda were the last line of defence between the troubles spilling over into the South. And as a result, I think it's fair to say they were given a fair bit of leeway. I mean, for example, we know that two ministers... Gareth Fitzgerald and Conor Cruz O'Brien, both of whom related themselves, had been told about Gardaí assaulting suspects. And in both cases, nothing was done. Gareth Fitzgerald said he put it aside to do something, but in the end it didn't come to pass. And and various things Conor Cruz O'Brien said in his memoirs, he had no problem with what he was told. So that's a kind of a context about the kind of leeway the Gardaí were given. That culminated with Donegal and all sorts of uh, issues that arose there. And so the Morris Tribunal decided this can't go on any further. Uh, we need a separate body. And that was GSOC that was set up. And I think it began, I think it was 1st of January 2007, it began operations. That's right. And it's to move the Gardaí from the sense of untouchables to a public trust. In exactly. Them. 
But Alice, then, if we were to come back then to the process in the modern day of making a complaint, I'm a member of the public and I want to make a complaint against, you know, some what I believe to be guard or wrongdoing to GSOC. Like, what are my options? Yes, yeah, Susan, so you can go to a guard station or you can make a complaint online on the GSOC website. And then bear with me because it gets a bit complicated. And this is also part of the story. Your complaint has to be ass- assessed. Uh, for admissibility. So it might not even be admitted. And then if they decide that it is admissible, if there's enough information in the complaint, if they feel like what you're complaining about does in fact constitute misconduct, it will be investigated. Now there is four ways that a complaint might be investigated. If it looks like it's a criminal uh, complaint, it'll be investigated by GSOC. If it looks like it's not criminal, it's disciplinary, and that could be not following regulations, not doing the job properly, being rude, then it'll either be investigated by GSOC investigators or by the Gardaí themselves. And I think this is, like, what what we found was that over 50% of investigations were conducted by the Gardaí themselves last year. And what that means is that then either it goes to the guards and they investigate it entirely themselves or it's what's called a supervised investigation. So that so GSOC kind of monitor it, but it's led by the guards. And then after that whole process has happened, for a criminal for a criminal investigation, if GSOC decide that there's enough evidence there, they'll send a file to the DPP and it's up to them to decide whether to prosecute. Um, if not, if if it's a disciplinary investigation, then they send their findings to the Garda Commissioner. And that's something that's really important to understand. GSOC makes findings. They don't find wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. And then they send those findings to the Garda Commissioner. And it's absolutely possible for the Garda to say, nothing to see here. We disagree. No discipline sanctions at all. So much like when we see a report coming out with something with maybe some recommendations at the end and then you kind of wonder what happened to that report, right? And it's more than, it's more than possible just because I have come across cases over the years whereby, uh, just as Alice laid it out, it's went to the commissioner and the commissioner looked at it and decided, no, no disciplinary action arises. That that, that does happen. And That might not be what the, the public are expecting when they put in a complaint. They might think it's a more straightforward mm. process, but it looks like you can lose sight of it along the way. And Mick, what do you think of that figure of sort of 50% of the complaints being kind of referred back to the Gardaí for investigating. Now, I know we're saying here that kind of makes sense if they're a lower level, but not all non-criminal proceedings or non-criminal potential investigations have to be low level. I'm sure there can be serious breaches of disciplinary. Absolutely. No, I suppose there's a couple of things. One is resources, because as things are constituted, if GSOC were to investigate every report, they're they're under-resourced. They always have been under-resourced, but you'd want a huge addition of resources for that. In a scenario whereby you had a police service that was willing to look at itself... I wouldn't see that big a problem with it. What I'm talking about is there are two ways that this could be examined. If, if for instance, there was a discipline problem within the Gardaí and it, was, and it was handed back to a senior Garda to investigate. The two ways to look at it are, do they want what was wrong rooted out in order to improve the functioning of the force? Or, and this is, I think, where the Gardaí culturally comes into it, will rooting out a wrongdoing particularly among a, for example, a rank-and-file Garda, will that reflect badly on that Garda's supervisor? And by extension, 
that supervisor's prospects of promotion. And I've come across this numerous times. And that, that's the crux, you know, in, in a really properly functioning force that any supervisor, any Garda of senior rank would want to root out what's wrong in order that it doesn't happen again. But what interferes with that, to my mind, is that defensive attitude of if this is shown that something was wrong, does that reflect on me the supervisor and therefore is that going to affect my uh, promotion prospects? Alice, what do you think of that? Yeah, to add to what Mick just said, the I think that's a, a, a point that a lot of people have made, GSOC included, the Guardian included and experts as well, is that the way the, the system is set up is very punitive. If 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 something has happened that you didn't like, um, if a guard has been rude to you or if they if they failed somehow in their duties, the the system is now set up to say who failed? How did they fail? What's the punishment? As opposed to what can we learn from this? Maybe the training that this guard was given was insufficient. Maybe the situation needs to be improved in some other way. And so I think it makes Guardi very reluctant uh, to engage with the process. And it, it sort of hampers the learning that the force can do or the GSOC can, can right. advise. It seems like a look at the individual rather than systemic problems that are there. And when we looked at systemic problems, actually, Alice, in your investigation, Another big issue is even if you have an investigation going with GSOC and through the Gardaí is the length of time that these take to investigate. It's like anything. If you embark on a complaint, you're like, oh, God, and it's dragging out and, you know, and and it gets more difficult to push that thing forward. Are there meant to be targets to keep these things in line and are they being met? Yeah, there are meant to be targets. Um, Remember, I talked about the four types of investigation. Mm -hmm. There's the Garda led and the GSOC led. The Garda-led investigations do have time frames in which they should be completed. So there are time frames agreed actually between Angarda Siakona and GSOC. And so for an unsupervised disciplinary investigation, it should take place within 16 weeks. For a supervised disciplinary investigation, it should be 20 weeks. Now, for there are it's possible to extend those time frames, but that's that's the guideline. And we found that mostly those are being exceeded. On average, over the last 10 years, those timeframes have never even been close to being met. And we found that last year, roughly 70% of the investigations that were received last year and completed last year were over the limit. That seems like a very long time. I wasn't expecting that. Mick, were you expecting that when you... It doesn't surprise me, Okay, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, because I've seen this in other elements of the public service, particularly, I have to say, in the likes of the prison service, another example. But um, if I'm investigating as a senior Garda, for example, if I'm detailed by GSOC to investigate, for example, a a rank-and-file Garda, one, uh, how motivated am I, the senior Garda, to get this done on time? Where does it fit into my general work schedule? And then for the Garda under investigation, there are so many ways to delay and prevaricate, particularly in terms of the, the legislative powers as they exist at the moment, that you can stretch these things out a very long time and that as far as I've observed, does very frequently happen to the extent it's the old thing of the longer you stretch it out, will it go away or what will be the impact when it's finally reaches a conclusion? How far will that have been on from the original complaint? And unfortunately, that does go on. I think we have to recognise as well that when we criticise GSOC for taking so much time and we should criticise them, they do take a lot of time, but we're talking about 55% of the investigations went back to the Guardi last year and the Guardi aren't meeting timeframes either. So it's it's not just a GSOC problem. If they don't meet their timeframes, I mean, is there 
I mean, apart from a reporter coming along like you, Alison, pointing it out, is there any other comeback on that? Not as far as I'm aware. Mm-hmm. Um, and a frustration we've heard cited, which I imagine is, you know, just as serious for people who've borne with the process all the way through, is when a GSOC investigation results in no prosecutions or sanctions. And just to underline, you said, Alice, you know, GSOC ca- itself can say, well, this person needs to do X, Y and Z or we need to send this other person to jail, for example. They, these are not their powers. Um in your pieces, you're finding that this rarely happens in terms of these cases coming out with something happening that is very concrete for the complainant to see. What did you find? We analysed data from 2018 to 2021 and found that there were sanctions for 2.2% of allegations closed during that time. So let me explain. Over 13,000 allegations were closed by GSOC in that period. About 10,000 of those were accepted for investigation. The others weren't accepted. And out of that, out of the allegations closed, only 307 sanctions happened. So 2.2% of them. And then there were 65 files sent to the DPP, which is 0.5%. So you go from all these allegations to 0.5% of files sent to the DPP and prosecution was directed in 21 allegations during those four years. And that's less than a third of the files that were sent to the DPP. So that's very, very few. Mick, you probably can think of some reasons why maybe the DPP can find it difficult to push ahead with something, bearing in mind the cost of a trial and gathering people together and so on. Yeah. I mean, it's not just the DPP taking the side of GSOC or the guard no. or whatever, is it right? No, I, I, I don't think so. And, you know, in one way, Alice, because I think you're over three years there, Alice. The, 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 those four the, years. Four, four years, years. And 65 files went to the DPP. Now, that alone... That's what, about 15, 16 every year. You know, on one way, OK, it is a very small percentage of, of uh, complaints, but you're talking about potential criminal behaviour and irrespective of some people's bad, bad um, experience with the Gardaí, uh, it, it's not too small, I, I, I would suggest. What you can say arising from that is the number of those that actually go forward to trial and different factors play in there. Um, not least, and one of the primary things that the DPP has to decide is what are the chances of a conviction. But what plays into that as well, uh, in some instances, is that you will find that in the general public, there's a reluctance, a certain reluctance to convict Gardy, more so than perhaps there might be a uh, possibility of convicting someone of the member of the public in general, because we have a slightly complicated relationship with the Gardy in this country. And to some extent, it's not dissimilar, for example, to the kind of relationship with the church. You'll find a lot of people very critical of the church, but their local parish priest, they'll think is a great guy and that he does genuine good work in the community. You'll find a lot of people have, they, you know, they, 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 they'll observe big scandals or what have you about the Gardaí and they might have individual experience, but they have a relatively good relationship with the Gardaí and therefore I'd suggest that in a lot of instances maybe a bit more reluctant to convict than would otherwise be the case. That's certainly a conclusion some people might draw from some of the trials that went on. So one could imagine that the DPP may be factoring that into decisions whether or not to prosecute. But even taking that into account, it, it is a low, 
a low number that actually go forward for a trial. You very rarely see uh, a case of a Garda in relation to that kind of investigation as opposed to anything personally he or she may have got involved in uh, going forward to uh, to a trial in that respect. That's right. And we're thinking too of, let's say, a very clear example of this that the public would have found I suppose, interesting and perhaps eroded a bit of trust in any GSOC recommendations actually having power. We'll go back to the Shell to Sea protests, which people may or may not remember um, off the West Coast. But there were over 100 complaints made to GSOC at the time about the Garda handling of those protests. And GSOC referred seven to the DPP. So it's not, again, not a big number, but it's significant that they thought there was enough evidence to press forward, but none were prosecuted. So that seemed to be like quite a big batch. It's almost like a, a show a show and tell of um, how far it goes with it. I, I think the reaction at the time wasn't great to that, Mick, was it? Yeah, no, that's, that's true. I was actually up there uh, a few times myself at the Shell to see. And uh, yeah, you know, the, the, there was a lot of confrontation. There was... Um, None out of seven would strike me as very low. I, I, I could see why a number of them perhaps wouldn't, but none, it does strike me as very low that none would have got to the point where they felt it was, uh, it should have been pursued as a prosecution. But as I say, those other factors will play into that sort of thing mm-hmm. uh, at that time, you know. Of course, it can be off-putting no matter what the factors were that played in for the public to see that oh, it's not coming out at the end. So, Alice, if you're not happy with the outcome of an investigation, what I mean... What's open to you? Basically nothing, Susan. There's no <laughs> there's no appeals process at all. So if you are, you know, if your case that you took to GSOC was a disciplinary one, the Garda commissioner says, no, there's nothing you can do. Your, let's say your case was involved criminal allegations and GSOC decides not to send a file to the DPP for whatever reason, there's nothing you can do. If they do send a file to the DPP and the DPP decline to prosecute, you know, you, you can ask for information about that, but you can't do anything about it. And the only the only real mechanism open to you is what's called a review, uh, which means that in cases where guards investigate just by the, an, un, an unsupervised Garda discipline investigation, so the guards just take doing the investigation on their own, you can ask GSOC to check whether their processes are right. But that review doesn't take into account the outcome. It's just did the did the processes get followed, that it, ha- it has no impact on the outcome whatsoever. All right. And like the compare that to, say, Northern Ireland, which mm-hmm. we've heard about the ombudsman up there. Obviously, historically, the need for a very strong ombudsman was so clear. Um, they had to get it right. And it's seen as the gold standard. How does the Garda Shikana Ombudsman Commission down here and their workings and their outcomes and their appeals compare to what's happening in in Northern yeah, Ireland. Yeah, it's it's interesting. We have we have the, the gold standard so close to us, so it's a, a useful comparison. Uh, the systems are very different. The, I think you could start by saying the investigative process is very different. Uh, we have this very complicated system that I explained to you about unsupervised and supervised and disciplinary and criminal investigations, and it's no wonder that that people are confused. Uh, up up in the north, they they investigate everything. If there's something that they believe is a, a sort of a low level complaint, a service level complaint, the the police in the north might investigate that, but the threshold for that's quite low. Everything else they'll investigate themselves. And then in terms of the transparency of that process, if the police ombudsman sends a case now it is also the PSNI who decide on disciplinary actions, but if the the ombuds if the police ombudsman sends a case to the P- PSNI, they can 
they can ask for a lot more information. They send the case to the PSNI. If the if the if the police say no, we're not gonna we're not gonna discipline a member of our force based on this. They have to explain that to the police ombudsman, and the police ombudsman can escalate that if she, in this case, uh, feels that that's very if that, that, that that's wrong. And then the other thing is the police ombudsman investigators have a lot more power. Um, here it's quite confusing, but for a disciplinary investigation, the GSOC investigators have a lot less power. They rely to a larger extent on cooperation from the Guardi, which they say is, is improving, uh, and they only have the powers of a guard in criminal investigations. So depending on what the case is from the outset, they have different powers and that can be that can be limiting and, and confusing. Sure, if you have a subject of a complaint and they don't want to talk to you, then it's very much he or she said and he or she didn't say and how can you make a recommendation on that? I, I, I think that goes to the heart of the problems around GSOC in terms of their legislative powers. Uh, they don't have anything like they do in Northern Ireland or in most other jurisdictions. The political will... Is it really there? I mean, it's like all these things, anybody like GSOC, the potential to create waves for the government of the day, are they willing to give them the powers that are required? Uh, and, and as well, you put in, you, into context the, the government's relationship with the Gardaí, uh, whether they're willing to give the powers, that's a major problem. And repeatedly, commissioners in GSOC have referenced that. The, the one other element that uh, to that is... Um, Alice mentioned about the disciplinary process. One of the things that may come into play when a commissioner decides whether or not the disciplinary process in the Gardaí is Byzantine. It's uh, And again, Mary Ellen Ring, former commissioner in GSOC, referenced this. She showed a flowchart at a talk, I remember, a number of years ago, showing how crazy it is, the, 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 the system that has to go through. And again, that goes back to the, the lack of uh, straight accountability that people are entitled to to expect in that regard. And there has always been huge tension between GSOC and the Gardaí as well. And you'd have to wonder that even after 16 years, whether elements of the Gardaí have not come to accept that they have to be under this kind of accountability mechanism uh, even this far into it. Well, if there's any sort of complex relationship with that level of accountability, it's surely only going to get worse, Alice, with legislation that's coming up. I mean, is this going to help us rip up GSOC and start again? Do we need to? I mean, what's the legislation saying? Some people have called, some people I've spoken to have said we should rip it up and start again. The legislation is going to reform it, uh, but they are quite drastic reforms in some respects. Um, I think Speaking to what Mick said about the sort of political will, one interesting thing for members of the public is that it'll be renamed to the police ombudsman and there'll be one ombudsman at the top of the organisation who will be a, a visible head. And hopefully that'll give the institution a bit more political power. Um, the process for investigations is going to be reformed so that it won't be this Byzantine system and that investigators will have the power of a Garda for all investigations. But there are still limits in terms of what the ombudsman will be able to investigate. There's quite a lot of ministerial oversight envisaged. And then the other problem is, will GSOC be adequately resourced to be able to do anything with these reforms? That's a big question. Mick, would that be a big concern of yours? Huge issue. The the, the resources in particular always has been a major issue. And bodies similar to it. And uh, you can go all the way back to... uh, 
Bertie Aaron when he was Taoiseach. I distinctly remember about the, the Office of the Director of Corporate Enforcement, which was unbelievably under-resourced. They'll have to get in line and wait like everybody else. He said her words to that effect. People don't say that, obviously, about GSOC, but I would say there'd be a very stingy attitude towards giving them the resources that are required. Resources and power, those two elements have, to my mind, have been at the centre of why GSOC has not been able to function to the satisfaction of, of a lot of people in the public. Thanks, Mick and Alice, for coming in. It sounds like a lot is riding on this legislation, such as it is. Um, we won't be overly optimistic about it. Um, but we also are looking here, as Mick said, at a police force that needs to be willing to look at itself, that needs to want to work with this, and a political willpower that wants that to happen. So you've been listening to us today at The Explainer, brought to you by Noteworthy.ie. It was produced by Laura Byrne. If you want to learn more about our work at Noteworthy and how we source our stories from you, our readers and listeners, head to our site at Noteworthy.ie and sign up to our newsletter, which gives you an insider look at our latest investigations by visiting Noteworthy.ie forward slash newsletter. Thanks for having us and we'll see you next time. <laughs>